Are we guaranteed as a local church to succeed in what God calls us to do? Do we think we are immune from failure? The apostle would have us all think again if we are so arrogant. With the care of a concerned pastor and teacher, the apostle prepares a history lesson about a people whose favorable future was overthrown by faulty feelings which overlooked a faithful God who oversees. Who were these people? They were our fathers, and what happened to them may happen to us if we are unwilling to learn from their example. This message preaches from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-13. through 13. It is part of a preaching series through 1 Corinthians to the church. This sermon is called Examples for Us. Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus, and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. These things took place as examples for us. If we want to learn how to do something well, we look for a good example. We look for someone or some event to observe and model after. Likewise, if we want to learn what things to avoid, lessons that were learned the hard way, failures that we don't want to repeat, we look for an example. It is common to say of another person, I'm going to make an example out of you. And this is a way of saying, I'm going to make sure that this lesson makes an impression in the minds of all who follow. God's word tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. The reality is someone, somewhere, has done whatever it is before us, for good or for bad. Somewhere, someone is an example for us. Can you think of a person or an experience that has left a mark on your life, an example that you have modeled a part or all of your life after. We can all think of at least one example. But what about the church? Does the church have any examples to look to and learn from? Did you know that God's word preserves the stories of people and events to serve as examples for us? Not examples for the world, not examples for those outside of the faith, but examples preserved for us, the church of God in Christ Jesus, living in these last days. The apostle now turns the eyes of the church to look upon these examples, and he has a good reason for doing this. At the beginning of chapter eight, the apostle 
began to answer a question that had been written to him by the church in Corinth about whether or not Christians should eat of food used in the worship of idols. He's still answering that question. He wrote back in chapter eight, verse one, he says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. How does knowledge and love relate to one another? How do Christians who are strong in conscience relate to brothers and sisters with a weak conscience? How has God in Christ Jesus related to us? The apostle has been expounding what it means for love to build up. Love builds up. Love is knowledge in action for the strengthening of the weak. But now in chapter 10, the apostle expounds what it means for knowledge to puff up. Knowledge puffs up. And he warns against allowing this to happen. There's dangers here. If knowledge is left unattended, unmoving, stagnated, it will inflate the ego of a person to a point where the love they ought to have for God and neighbor, a sacrificial love, a godly love, becomes something altogether different. It becomes lust, a self-centered love, an ungodly love, a love that serves one's own passions. This kind of love, this lust, leads to idolatry the worship of other gods, false gods, and ultimately the worship of oneself as if I am God. The church must guard against idolatry. How does the church avoid idolatry? We look at the examples that have gone before us. The apostle sets this up at the end of chapter nine. Back up one verse with me in your scriptures. Look at chapter nine, verse 27. The apostle writes, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. First, there is a recognition that there are no guarantees. That is an astonishing admission. Did you notice what he said in that last phrase? Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This should make every one of us sit up just a bit and perk up and pay attention. The apostle called by the will of God, a messenger of God's message in Jesus Christ, can fail. And he recognizes this. He says that he disciplines himself so that he might not be disqualified. He knows that he can fail. Do you think, church, 
that you have certain guarantees because you are called? Do you think, church, that you are providentially prohibited from failure? Do you think that because you were baptized, you will inherit the kingdom of God? Do you think that because you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you're right with God? Do you think that you're pleasing to God, do you? The apostle here is jamming a sharp pin through the skin of the inflated balloon that was the overconfident, puffed up egos of the strong in Corinth. And by extension, he's doing the same for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It is possible to fail. It is possible to fall. And if you are one who thinks that you stand, indeed the scriptures tell us failure is all but probable. This text breaks down into three movements as we look at the examples of our fathers in the faith. And these three movements may be summarized with this sentence. A favorable future was overthrown by faulty feelings which overlooked a faithful God who oversees. A favorable future was overthrown by faulty feelings which overlooked a faithful God who oversees. This is a warning against overconfidence in the church, a warning for the strong in the church, a warning for those who think they stand in the church. This is a warning against idolatry, turning away from God. First, the text tells us that a favorable future was overthrown. Notice as I read verse one, again, the word that begins this verse. It is the word for. The word for is a connecting word. The apostle is now telling us why he disciplines his body so that he won't be disqualified. He is telling the church why failure is possible. Look at verse one. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. One word appears five times in these verses. Did you hear what it was? The word all. This is not a story of individuals, no. This is a story of a people, a body. This example is not for the benefit of you and I. This example is for the benefit of us. We've learned this before and we'll learn it again. We, the church, are a united body. What we do, we do together. And my faith alone will not carry us forward. 
Your individual faith alone will not carry this church. But our faith together represents our faith as a people in God. That is what is in view here to this letter written to the church. The apostle begins retelling the story of our fathers, the story of Israel, a story that affects all of us, whether we are Jew, Greek, all who are in Christ. These are our spiritual fathers. And their story is our story because it is God's story of salvation fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Our fathers, all of them, had the same experiences together as God delivered them out of Egypt, leading them on to the promised land. But before God brought them into the promised land, what did he do? He tested them. God tested them. God went before them all with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Will my people follow me? It was a test. They all passed through the waters of the Red Sea, baptized into Moses, following the instruction of Moses as Moses was following and delivering the instruction of God. Will my people hear me? It's a test. They all ate the manna in the wilderness and drank from the water that flowed from the, the rock. Will my people trust me and obey me? It was a test. If there was ever a people who could claim guarantees, it would be God's called, spoken to, baptized, supplied for people, our spiritual fathers. And you may think, well, that is them, not us. We, the church, haven't experienced these acts of God. Have we not? Notice what verse four says. Look at it again with me. It says, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And look at this. And the rock was Christ. Who followed them then? Who was with them then? Christ was. The rock was Christ. Jesus Christ. His presence, his provision followed them. Christ connects what they had and what we have. They had Christ with them. We, church, have Christ with us. And so it is we all as the church of Jesus Christ, experience these benefits of Christ together. What does this mean that we have any guarantees, do we? Well, look at the next verse, verse five, and notice how it begins. Not with a connecting word of four, but with a contrasting word, a strong one. Nevertheless, look at verse five, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Most of them, most of all of them were overthrown in the wilderness. But I was baptized, overthrown. But I ate the manna, overthrown. But I drank from the rock, 
overthrown. It was only two of them, remember? Joshua and Caleb who entered into the promised land. We church must honestly look at the scriptures and examine our own souls and ask the question, what are we standing upon? What are we counting on to guarantee us salvation, to guarantee our deliverance, our inheritance into God's kingdom? Is it our knowledge? Is it our baptism? Is it that we are among the all? This manifests itself again and again as we continue to see God's concern for membership in his church. Too many churches make it easy for someone to slip in and be counted among the all unawares. It's too easy to serve in that church, too easy to become a pastor or a deacon. But when God's word is rightly preached and God's word is rightly applied, and now membership means something to God and it means something to us, now it has expectations. Now it requires accountability. We find out that this inclusive all is a lot less in number than we thought that it was. Most of all of them, the scripture says, failed. God was not pleased with them. They were not faithful. I ask again, what makes you, church, think that you won't fall? The apostle writes to the church about a favorable future that was overthrown. God's people failed. Why did they fall? A favorable future was overthrown by faulty feelings which overlooked. Look with me at verse six. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. They, our spiritual fathers, desired evil. They had faulty feelings, bad cravings, lust. And this is what God would have his church learn from Israel's example. Do not be a desirer of evil. Being strong in knowledge does not equate to being full of faith. Do not allow yourself, oh strong one, to get overconfident, puffed up in your knowledge, lacking in your love. Do not allow your love to become lust for evil. Good, verse seven. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is a quotation from Exodus chapter 32, verse six. A time when Moses went up on the mountain receiving instruction from God. Do you remember what happened down below? The people became impatient. Later in this Corinthian letter, we will learn that love is patient, but lust is impatient. And what did they do while they were impatient? 
waiting on Moses to come down, they fashioned for themselves a golden calf, an image of God, an idol. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The word to play represents the ever-present partner of idolatry that is sexual immorality. Idolatry and sexual immorality are united in marriage. Dabble in idolatry, and the end of that road is sexual immorality and vice versa. Both go together. Look at verse eight. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. The story went like this, church, from Numbers chapter 25, verses one through three. This is from the history. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the result was devastating. Multiple thousands upon thousands died in a single day because of this. Dabble in idolatry, and it will lead to sexual immorality. Dabble in sexual immorality, and you will put God to the test. Look at verse nine. Pastorally, the apostle is writing, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. How did our spiritual fathers put Christ to the test? The apostle shows how in Numbers 21, five and six. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food, the manna, the provision of God. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. They did not trust God's leading or God's provision and spoke against God, putting him to the test. And this then leads to a subtle but oh so dangerous sin. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Grumbling, murmuring, complaining, the apostle goes back to history to a time when the people didn't grumble directly against God. They grumbled against their leader, which by extension, as God views it, was grumbling against God. Numbers chapter 14 tells us of this. It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel, watch this, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. 
Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Then watch this verse four. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is the most familiar manifestation of idolatry, especially in the church today. Making an idol of our traditions, of our ways, my ways, of our preference, my preferences. And we want to always go back to them. That's not how we used to do it. That is the spirit of our rebellious fathers. That is the spirit that led to destruction. Submit to you, church, that grumbling and murmuring and complaining in all forms, these are indicators that there are other issues going on in that person's life. Heart issues. And that's what God was testing in his people Israel. He was testing their heart. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two. The word of God says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. What is in our hearts? Perhaps it is idolatry, perhaps it is sexual immorality, perhaps it is putting God to the test, perhaps it is grumbling. At its core, these faulty feelings overlook God's instruction, God's leading, God's will, God's ways, God's supply, God's provision, God's story, God's salvation, God's church, God's Christ, and God's spirit. The apostle points this out to us because our fathers, watch this church, were destroyed as a result of these things. These are not hypotheticals. These are things that the scriptures remind us over and over again that they did, they did, they did. A favorable future was overthrown by faulty feelings which overlooked a faithful God who oversees. Do you think God is not watching or listening? Do you think that God is not aware of what is happening even in your heart? Do you think God is not testing you? God is aware, God knows, and by their example, God is instructing us here is the conclusion the apostle comes to. This is the summary. Look at verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Praven Vang offers this translation of verse 12. As a result of all of this, 
the one who continues to think that he or she is able to stand must remain watchful lest he or she may fall. What was meant to test the faithfulness of our fathers exists as a temptation for us that through it we might fall. Will you fail? Will we fall? And then verse 13 offers this word of encouragement and gospel hope. Look at it with me. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God does not remove our ability to fail. Do you hear this, church in Corinth? Do you hear this, church today? God does not remove our ability to fail, but he does something far more gracious and glorious than that. God does not remove our ability to fail. Instead, God removes the need for our ability at all. Our future is not determined by our ability, but by God's faithfulness. God is faithful. Have you failed? Hear this, God is faithful. God put our failures to death in his son on the cross. Our failure is sin. And God sent his son to become a man to be tempted in every way as we are, as is common to man. Jesus was tempted but did not sin, the scriptures tell us. Jesus was tested and did not fall. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. A bright cloud overshadowed them at another time and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Again, Listen to him, Jesus, the one with whom the Father was pleased, took our sin to Calvary, nailed it to the cross, and died. It pleased God to crush him, to pour out his wrath on his own because of our failures and our sin. It looked like Jesus failed because he died. It looked like Jesus failed because he was buried. Success does not look like success in God's economy, always. Success may look like failure because God is overseeing it all and God does not fail, God is faithful. Jesus did not fail, what did he do? Jesus endured. And in the right time, Jesus was raised. Verse 13 again, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, 
He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Notice what that verse does not say. It does not say with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to escape it. It says, with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to what? Endure it. Perhaps God does not provide a way again and again out of every temptation that we face because God has once and for all provided the way of escape. Jesus is our way of escape, church. In Jesus, God has once and for all provided a means of perfect, sustaining salvation from sin in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our endurance, church. He gives to us, his church, his Holy Spirit, by which we do not get lazy and complacent, but by whom we endure faithful to the very end. Yes, God gives us our spiritual fathers as examples to us, but better than that, God gives us Jesus also as our example, church. For this is a gracious thing, the scriptures say, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. A favorable future was overthrown by faulty feelings which overlooked a faithful God who oversees. Church, let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish his purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of his word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.